Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. No time to mess around today, October 13th. Now, if today were Friday, it would be Friday the 13th. But I guess you could say that every month at the 13th isn't a Friday, right, Dan? I know Dan has aggravated me already. I can see in his face. But I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. This is Market Call. I'm shooting for 30 minutes, but we got a jam-packed show. I just don't know how we're going to pull this off, Dan. EY from SoFi will join us in a few minutes. And buckle your seatbelts, people. If you're not sitting, plant your ass in a chair. Because just in a minute, Butters is going to be here live. Butters on screen. I mean, that's worth the price of admission. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and engineering powered by tomorrow. Uh, SoFi, Dan, get your money right all in one app. Our production partner is Open Exchange. Hi, Dan. How you doing, guy? Why do you think I'm annoyed already? I can I mean, see it. I can on. see it in your you're, face. You're I know you. You know you're just getting because I'm off the rails. I'm sort of you know it's raining out. The Yankees have already announced that the game is rained out today. Uh, that was an MLB decision, but I will tell you that if the Mets were still in the playoffs, they're not. By the way, in case you, they would probably do. They would make that call at like nine thirty this evening and screw all, yeah. all their fans because that's what the Mets uh, typically do. Back to you. Yeah, so let's just talk about the CPI print. I mean, it you know seemed like it was going to be so somewhat of a binary sort of event here, and I thought it was interesting, guy. That you know, you wake up this morning, the, the futures were up. You know, the S and P futures were up, you know, one percent or so, and the knee jerk reaction, right, of that hot number was just to sell the Nasdaq mm-hmm. first. I think at its lows, it was down, you know, sort three percent or so. Huge, huge reversal off the lows. The S and P futures were up one percent. They dropped very, very quickly here. And so we still have this kind of knee-jerk reaction where if the hot data suggests that rates are going higher, you want to continue to sell high multiple stocks here. And so kind of that was the trade, but not for long on the opening. Why do you think they bought the opening? When I say they, I mean investors maybe covering So let's just dissect the day a little bit. The market, the reason why the market was indicated higher prior to the CPI print is because the three parties in Great Britain, there's just this three-dimensional chess game going on. It's obviously the government, it's the Bank of England, and to a certain extent, it's the pension fund holders. And, you know, they've all sort of been playing this game of chicken, and it appeared as though the government uh, blinked. And that's why you saw, you know, the Liz Trust government blink. That's why you saw the pound move. That's why you saw our futures go higher. CPI print was another disaster. I, that should come as no surprise. And the move lower made a lot of sense. What I've said for a while, and we had a conversation, not that this helps anybody on this one o'clock show, but every time the VIX over the last few months, uh, maybe a little longer, has gotten north of 34 and a half ish. You've seen some wicked uh, negative gamma days. And that's exactly what you're seeing today. What does that mean? It means exactly what you saw. The move lower was sort of sped up by negative gamma. And the subsequent move to where we are now 
is again sped up by the same people that were selling on the lows are now buying on the highs. And I know that's somewhat counterintuitive, but that's exactly what's going on. So vol actually came in before the market started to rally. That was sort of a bit of a tell. And here we are. By no means do I think the worst is over. That's just my opinion. But you might have a respite for a couple of trading days. And that's been uh, the pattern for quite some time now, Dan. Yeah, so that S&P move intraday is pretty astounding. We don't see those sorts of moves too frequently, Guy. And, you know, again, it's really kind of hard to, um, like you said, buy that move after an intraday 4 or 5% move, whether you're talking about the NASDAQ. But those are the sorts of moves off of 52-week lows that have the ability to kind of continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've seen this on a couple of occasions after some steep downdrafts that have lasted for weeks, if not months, over the course of this year. If you look at the one year chart of the S&P 500, we're still kind of contending even after that reversal today, Guy, with you know a level right that goes back to June that we kind of held last month that we blew through last week here. And again, look how steep that downtrend is from the August highs. So, you know, we are not out of the woods yet as it relates to the S&P 500. And I think you and I would both agree that last Monday and Tuesday, that 5% rally that we saw in the S&P 500, we really thought that that would probably have the ability to build on top of. Maybe we'd see high single-digit percentages off of the lows. The fact that we made new lows so quickly really leads me to believe that investors are kind of, you know, selling first, asking questions later on any and all good news. Yeah, I think that's right. We're going to talk, obviously, I mean, earn, we're, we're about to start earnings season. We've seen it from some companies. Obviously, banks start in earnest over the next a couple trading sessions, and that will tell a bit of a tale. But you're right. I mean, I think that's exactly right. These rallies have been short-lived. We'll see if this one holds. I mean, listen, we traded down to 3491, I think, on the low of the S&P 500. I mean, a 3,400 handle, albeit the upper end, I mean, that's something we've been talking about for a while. So I think there's probably still room to 3,400 at some point. To your to your, uh, your reaction, what happens first? Do we get that 7 8% rally from these levels, or this, is this rally going to be muted? This one might have more staying power, only given the fact that we really pushed down the levels we obviously haven't seen for the last year. But again, Liz talked about this last fall. You know, we went from a market where all dips should be bought to a market where all rallies should be sold. And I don't think that's changed just yet. Yeah, well, I, I just tell you what we're seeing today in the banks in front of the earnings. We know that we have four or five of the major ones, the major components of the XLF, the ETF that tracks, uh, tracks the financial sector. Look at JP Morgan guy; it's up five percent. You know, you don't you don't look at your fact set screen too too frequently. At least I have not over the course of my career and seen JP Morgan up five percent. I drew a really really simple line here, and if you see that was resistance the whole way down. It was a well defined downtrend for the better part. Part of this year. And earlier this summer, we broke out above it. And if you see, we've kind of been holding that now as support to the downside. That's where we got that bounce. You know, if estimates um, don't come down as much as possible, if Jamie Dimon already got some of that negativity out earlier in the week, as he did in that CNBC interview about the macro, and then the numbers aren't as bad as expected, there's no reason why JP Morgan could not continue to bounce. That being said, being a little cheeky here, guy, um, I bought a little of the Tomorrow expiration, October mm-hmm. 30 
one strike puts in the XLF, I paid about 1% of those. Okay, so literally, if I have a 1% move to the downside, I at least break even. That's just tomorrow. That's not a great way to trade people. I'm just telling you that right now. That's why I called it a bit cheeky. It's a bit binary. So the point is, if the XLF is 31 or higher on tomorrow's close, I lose the money I paid for those puts. You've had a thesis on banks now for quite some time, and it's been proven to be correct. So I understand why you'd want to do that, because you have an opportunity to hear from these banks and earnings. And I will tell you, I mean, the JP Morgan earnings seemingly over the last few years, it really doesn't matter what they've said. The the knee-jerk reaction has been to the downside a lot of times in these shares. And although we've traded down to, I think, a 52-week low today within, or within an earshot of it, yeah. and the setup should theoretically p- be pretty good, I mean, the banks have not traded well, and and this is not really a great environment for them, despite the fact, you know, I know all the positive arguments, I know valuation, well capitalized and all that stuff. But here we are in an environment where fewer things are getting done. And obviously, they have fewer levers to pull in terms of revenue and earnings. So we'll see how it shakes itself out. Yeah, I mean, it really feels just like a sentiment trade here, guy. But here's the thing. If there's anything fundamental that looks really bad, worse than people were expecting, even with a stock like, you know, JP that was down, you know, more than 33 percent from its highs, you know, on the year. I mean, the stock is going to blow through those recent lows. I mean, it's just that simple to me. That's why I'm taking a shot on that. It's a low probability bet. All right. Here's one you and I have been talking about for months now that we've thought other than Apple is probably one of the most important stocks in the entire stock market. And it is Microsoft for a whole host of reasons. Their exposure to the, um, the dollar, their exposure to overseas sales, obviously, and other places um, you know, where we know that China you know, is uh, really in a recession. We know Europe's going to be in a recession. We know that you know, a lot of companies here in the U.S. have cloud is a big part of this growth story here. We know that there's a lot of layoffs that we're seeing across tech here. I just think at some point it's going to manifest itself here in a name like Microsoft. When you look at this intraday reversal, again, it looks like the S&P, that's a massive reversal off the lows, 220 to like 233 here. Let's see how the thing shakes out. It's up three and a quarter percent. But guy, on a five-year basis or just a couple-year basis, look at this thing. When you look at a chart like this, it's really, I mean, it's got to go back to that level, $200. Nice round number, right? I mean, let's be frank. It would seem that's logical. That's a chart you've been drawing for a while. You know, I think we did an excellent job on their last earnings call to point out the absurdity of the move higher. And then, look, when it got over 290 um, in the weeks that came, you know, from the middle of June into early July, that didn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense to me um, because the, the quarter, frankly, wasn't that good. And there was still a concern on valuation. Now, that 242 level we saw post earnings. Uh, the knee-jerk reaction, that obviously was violated recently. And I think you're right. It seems as though it's a foregone conclusion. The question is, how do we get there? You know, Do we get there with a move back to the 250s first, or is it going to sort of stall here? So this is where you have to start to play a little bit of stock market, right? And today, obviously, people are going to talk about the reversals and everything on decent volume. A lot of people are going to be quick to point out, this is it. This is the capitulation. I'm not sure it is. Um, But I think you have to wait on this one because, quite frankly, even with the move down to the levels we saw earlier today, the stock is still not cheap. 
No doubt about it. All right, let's look at one last name before we get to Liz here. It's Tesla guy. This is one that I think you and I have both been fairly well-defined um, bearish on mm-hmm. here. Um, for me, there's a whole host of reasons other than what I just think is going to be a probably disappointing quarter when you think about where their growth is going to come from China, Europe, their exposure to the dollar, their issues with supply chains. I mean, the list goes on and on. A lot of other things that we've seen from the autos just over the last couple of months, not great stuff here. Look at this thing, man, to the penny, to the May lows. I've been long um, a put position, so I've been playing this is over the last couple of months for a move back to these match lows. I really did think we we're going to get back to a 52-week low here, but it's not a great press, guy. Would you agree at this point? You'd like to see a little pressure relieved here. And if you look at this thing on a multi-year basis, right, you say to yourself, okay, I feel pretty decent that if we were to have a bounce and then a retest of that sort of 206 level or so, we might see this stock back at 207 this company's going to report october 19th early in the uh in the earnings cycle next week and i just can't see if this company is honest how the quarter and the guidance is going to be any good look i mean at one point today the stock was down 50 half a hundred five oh percent from its all-time high i mean that's pretty staggering and nobody seems to want to talk about it and obviously there are a lot of things that we've tried to mention that same seemingly came to fruition to your point about it not being a great press I mean, you did a masterful job in terms of taking off that put position. You timed it extraordinarily well. The question is, when do you reload? So what's the level? What's the bounce? Do we bounce into earnings and then have a subsequent sell-off? Or is it going to be another one of these short-lived things like potentially could happen in Microsoft? That's why I think today is so critical to see how things close. If we peter out here late in the day, which, listen, there's a definite... We had, that, we had that conversation at 10 a.m. I really did think the market was going to go positive at some point today. I didn't think it was going to go up 600 Dow points. Great but, call, guys. You know, It seemed to be like positive was in the cards, given what we've seen before. But if we start to peter out here late in the day, I mean, that does not augur particularly yeah. well for many of these names that we just mentioned. So this is one of those days you really have to – you have to pay attention every day, Dan, and I'm not yeah. trying to be glib here, but this is one of those days you really got to watch and see what's going on beneath the surface. No doubt about it. Just pull up that that uh, multi-year chart of the Tesla again. Guy, what does that look like to you if that neckline is about 170? I'm kind of leaving the witness here. I mean, this would be that the That looks like a head and shoulders all, pattern. Is that what you're saying to the me? The mother of all head and shoulders. And at its highs, you know, early this year, late last year, this was a 1.2 trillion dollar market cap this is a car company that at the time was selling low single digits market share of cars okay yeah. just to, just to be very clear so to your point maybe we there's a gap up there at 250 maybe it runs into that into earnings and i would look to do once again a sort of put position playing for a move back down um towards those lows maybe it's 170 or so the other thing i'll just say is like what's clear to me if you're tracking this twitter story with elon musk trying to buy it you know the, the, the fact is people are trying to pull out of the equity commitments that they made to him um, six months ago. The banks would love to be out of the $12.5 billion in debt. And maybe he's been selling the stock. So maybe that is going to relieve some pressure. But I think he's going to have to put up more capital for mm-hmm. it. And that probably means lower lows in Tesla. And the other thing is the lower Tesla goes, I mean, the harder it is for him to buy this thing. It could be an unholy mess. So that's my two cents there. I don't have a position as of today. That's been the story, though. And, and and listen, I will tell you on Fast Money, on On the Tape, on Market Call, I think we've pretty much outlined what we thought was going to happen. And it, again, seemingly come to fruition for our eyes. That doesn't make us a hater. I mean, at a certain point, it's just doing it math and trying to figure it out. And you think about how fundamentally the world has changed since his initial um, foray or his initial bid for Twitter, how significantly the debt markets have changed. 
And to a certain extent, obviously, interest rates have changed on the back of it. So it's a much different looking world right now. So, you know, it's just interesting. Is it time to bring her in or you want to talk about one more thing? No, I, I think it's time to bring her in. Just so you know, Guy, um, Liz really stepped up. Of course okay? she did. And she showed up, I think it was on Tuesday. It was a mm-hmm. day that you could not do it. You had something come up and she was a star. And we tried a little thing here because we know a lot of our viewers, a lot of our, our listeners here, they've really locked into your nickname for her. Yeah. But I'm thinking about trying to bring it back to something kind of oh there it is a little more old school so well, what, what uh, are you bringing it back to what there she is guy ly from sofi no, joining that's, us here that's, she's that's got bad. all her money right just in one app <laughs> well. here see what i did there that's just not i mean hi liz did you miss guy the other day or of course she did of course i always miss guy when he's not there no always. it's not the same and i appreciate you i mean it's like it's it's like what happened with the padres the other night they went to their closer Mr. Hader, ex-brewer, by the uh, way, who was just lights out. Me. Pardon me? You had to do that to me. You had to yeah, bring well, it up. Well, you knew it was coming Ex-brewer. at some point. I mean, it's not cruel. I mean, the Brewers were there all year, and then they just sort of, you know, they, they meandered late in the season, and those Cardinals of St. Louis took over, only to be then summarily defeated in the uh. said playoffs. Uh, which by the Philadelphia, Wait, Philly, it's just, you know, but, it's bad. But Guy, guy, guy Adami, um, so Liz Liz is going to get you all tuned up today with her note. But before we get to that, you know how you always say, if you're not following Liz at Liz Youngstrand on Twitter, wrong. you're doing it wrong. All right, did you see this tweet? And I have a feeling that she tweeted this earlier today. It was directed just at you. She was tweeting to an audience of one. What in tarnation <laughs> is with this market reversal? That's a serious question. What am I missing? Yeah, and I responded to that, by the way. But, you know, I would submit that tarnation is a word that we do not use nearly Often enough. As a matter of fact, this evening on CNBC's Fast Money, I will try to use Tarnation uh, at least once. More than once, I think you're overdoing it. Well, okay, so I'm on overtime today at 4 o'clock, right before Fast Money starts. Maybe I'll try to get it in there, too. We'll just we'll do Tarnation once an hour for the rest of the day. So, Liz, what, what, did, what did you make of the reversal? What did you get? What did you glean from, from some okay. of the mentions? Yeah, let's talk First about of all, it. here's what you glean from Twitter. So I tweet, this is yesterday or the day before, I tweeted about the gilts, the long-term gilts, and something like, you know, down 52% since December 2021, an entire decade of gains wiped out. People love a scary story. That tweet has over 1.5 million impressions. That is the most I have. It's I mean, it's wild, right? They just love a scary story. And then what they love second to that is an opportunity to tell everybody what they think is happening in the market. So what happened today when I posted that question is I almost got I think it's called ratioed. Is that what that's called? Where you almost have more comments than likes? Not quite, but. It, they came in, they rolled in fast. There's like 300 some comments on there of people saying what they think is happening today. I'll be really honest. I don't get it. So I would actually ask you, Guy, why did you think it was going to turn positive? Because I wouldn't have been surprised that we had like a little bit of a positive move. But this is now a thousand point swing in the Dow on bad inflation data. People mm-hmm. can't possibly be pricing in a pivot or even a pause. I really do not understand what's happening today. 140, so I don't it. I don't 150 it. point move in the S&P. I and mean, that's a staggering reversal. Listen, again, I want to emphasize, I thought we'd go positive. I didn't think we'd be up 600 Dow points. I thought maybe a couple hundred made sense given what we've seen. And the reason why I said it, again, it comes down to when the VIX, at least what I've noticed over the last few months, it gets to a certain level that's when it triggers all the negative volatility, all the negative gamma, right? And that's what kicked in, I think, today. So, 
You saw it in spades to the downside. It accelerated <clears throat> as it went lower. And as we're going higher, it's seemingly accelerating now. That's just people chasing their tail. Dan can speak to that because I think that's exactly what's going on. Now, that will exhaust itself mm-hmm. as the VIX gets down below 30 at some point. And then I think the trajectory lower will start again. But the reason why I thought is exactly that. You know, a lot of people still short volatility and they pay for it on days like today. Yeah. So, Liz, we, we were talking about some some names that we thought were pretty important here. Look at, you know, a reversal in a stock like J.P. Morgan traded below 102 and is trading 109 as we speak. They report earnings tomorrow. I'm not going to ask you to opine um, on that. But that is a very staggering sort of intraday move, right, to the point. Let's yeah. talk a little bit about energy. We have the XLE up here. And it really, Guy has been talking about how it's shown really good relative strength um, to crude oil, especially it was selling off over the highs over the last couple of months here you know when you see a group like this snap to it um you know on a day that we're seeing you know the dollar was originally higher rates were originally higher they definitely reversed as the stock market reversed what do you think of energy here and then we're going to get to your note a little bit because you had a really great note on semis and i think you have a great take on it and why we should be focused on the group right now but right now it seems like we probably still have reason to be focused on energy stocks yeah, and you know what? I so earlier in the year I've kind of I've flipped and flopped on energy a couple times this year. Earlier in the year I was worried that we would see another big spike up and that would bode poorly for a recession. You didn't want to see that in the market as a kind of a a warning sign. Now, I'm actually getting a little bit more bullish on energy stocks in the sense of cyclicality though. So I think part of it, I don't think there's any mistake that energy and financials might actually do okay today. Those are cyclical trades. Those are classically cyclical trades. And when you think about just what's happening in the market and what people might expect to be the next phase of growth, I don't think it's those typical tech names anymore. So some of the cyclical trade is coming back into the forefront. The other thing about energy that you have to remember is demand isn't going anywhere, right? If anything, as we enter the winter season, there's going to be more demand and we continue to just constrain supply. And energy is, at the end of the day, a demand and supply game. And there's really not much else that goes on in that area. Of course, you have geopolitical shocks, but look, demand is strong. I think demand stays strong. And this is a space that, especially where it's priced right now, and with the earnings power that's behind it, which I know Butters would probably talk about this, but if you take energy out of the S&P, earnings growth is negative. It's the only thing that's keeping it positive. So there are some good things happening in energy right now. Which is pretty remarkable if you think about the weighting in the S&P. So, I mean, energy's, you know, not trying to be glib here again, but it's definitely carrying its weight. And I think, listen, I've said it a number of times, crude oil can sort of flatline here for a while, and the market can sort of be benign to slightly higher. And these energy stocks should continue to go higher. You can make that case on valuation. But most importantly, I think you can make that case on the fact that these companies, again, are so much better run than they have historically been and so much better capitalized than they've historically been because they're forced to years ago when ESG came in. And obviously, when we saw that negative front month print in crude oil, I think that really woke a lot of people up. So you look at names like Exxon, Chevron, ConocoPhillips, collectively now approaching a trillion dollars in market cap, all names that are within earshot of not only their 52-week highs, but their all-time highs. And you're saying to yourself, something is going on here in the space, despite the fact that the underlying commodity has been getting beaten up. So I would end by saying this, crude oil is the headline maker. I get it. But if you look at the product, specifically heating oil, heating oil is trading back to levels we last saw in the spring. Um, People don't talk about it. They should be watching it. 
Because if heating oil breaks out here, that could be the next leg higher in these energy stocks, Dan. All right. Matter of fact, um, Guy, you know, you're just I think you got to live rent free and Liz head. I do. Can I tell you something? I'm not kidding around because this is what I think about yesterday. So I'm thinking about, okay, she's probably got like a cognac or something. She's got those now fall themed footy pajamas on and she's probably got the glasses that she, you know, takes like this and puts on the brim of her nose. And she thinks like, okay, what am I going to write about? Then you start to furiously type. Yeah, That's my visual of this entire thing. And I think in some ways, I know that little, like, what do they call it? The bubble over your head when you see something like in those cartoons, they call it a bubble. My face is somewhere out there, which I also sort of dig. Uh But without further ado, that's a French word. Yeah, so so guy, here's the deal, because I I read the note. I'm sure you're going to be reading it right after Market Call here. I mean, really what she's doing is she's kind of like... This she's a little chin music for you. She's basically saying enough of the Dow theory, you know, you old timey guys, you know what I mean? Right. And she's saying, I want to look at something that she knows that, you know, well, you know plenty about, but you're just never really going to get in the weeds like you did with the Dow theory. And the whole idea with the Dow theory is that the Dow had to confirm highs or lows, right. In, in the industrial average um, to make it the sort of, okay, Transports, right, we got that. Blah, but blah, what is railroads. she saying now? Her note, she has a segment titled semi-charmed strife. Get into it, Liz. Talk to us why the transport. First of all, all right, guy. I know you're not going to get that reference, but no. Wait, I will tell you. That's like a that's like a Aaron Spelling show, like with Tori Spelling Mm. and Alyssa Milano. Okay, so when you do a yoga class, at the end of a yoga class, the instructor will tell you to put your thumb knuckles at your third eye center. Okay, there is a band called Third Eye Blind. That has a song called "Semi Charmed Life." I believe it was released in 1997. My favorite. I was, I was right behind Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is a play on that. So instead of "Semi Charmed Life," "Semi Charmed Strife." Here's the thing: we've talked about Dow theory, and guy, this happened. Dow theory was penned right around, I think, when you were born. It was like 1901, 1902. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an old theory, right? Been around a long time. A lot of times, when you look at old theories. They have a lot of proof behind them. You've got a lot of historical precedent. This one happens to not really work as well anymore because that's at a time when our economy is dependent on the railroads. We looked at transport stocks. We looked at before the Industrial Revolution, right? All of the things that our economy would grow into, that's over. Now you have to look at tech. You have to look at something like semiconductors. Yes, it's a much more volatile data series and a much more volatile performance pattern, but semiconductors are now in every sector in some way, shape, or form. And they do indicate some of the demand that would come out of our economy, the strength of earnings, the strength of investor sentiment. So this note talks about semis as that bellwether. What does price action so far this year mean? Here's what I think it means. Obviously, semis are down sharply this year, down 43 or 44%, depending on what index or ETF you're looking at. I still think there's more to go down. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't believe this little swing up today. I still think there's more to go down. And then people always want to know, well, how much further? Obviously, I'm never going to nail that level. I'm never going to be right on with that. But here are some of the levels that I'd be looking at. And this is when you start to drip back into risky stuff like semis. So the last low, the last closing low is 3585. I want to see the S&P get below 3500. And if you remember the low in June was 3666 as a closing low. Usually when you get below one of those, you blow through it, there's momentum that continues to take you down another say 5 to 10%. We only went down 2 and a half percent 
from that low. So I think we can still go down 10% from that June low, which would mm-hmm. get us to about 3,300. Between 3,300, 3,400, you start dripping into semis and you know that you're closer to the end of the cycle than you are to the beginning of the cycle and you want to have a position there. And look, that would be somewhere around 30% down from highs on the S&P. Yes, I realize we could go down 40% from highs, but I am okay with buying down 30% and waiting it out until the bounce happens on the other side. Look, I think that's exactly right. And that should line up. And I think we're in lockstep. By the way, you know, the next Third Eye Blind song I listen to will be my first. And <laughs> I won't subject you to this, but I'm curious as to the origin of the name of the band. But that's obviously for a different show. With that said, you know, we, we've talked about names like NVIDIA, AMD, and levels that are interesting. And the levels that we've mentioned in those stocks and the Texas Instruments and to a certain extent, a Qualcomm, line up exactly, (coughs) excuse me, with those levels in the S&P 500. So I think you're spot on, Dan. I'm sure you have similar thoughts. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Texan guy. I mean, Texas Instruments, you know, has shown really good relative strength um, to the whole group. Um, And I think that, you know, given that it's industrial exposure and exposure in some of the areas actually that haven't seen this sort of deceleration where, you know, names like AMD and NVIDIA have been hit really hard. I I think it's interesting. I think Liz also makes a really great point. Okay, she could easily see the S&P down 35 percent, which is down 23 percent right now. You know, if we are going to go into a recession, which I think all of us kind of agree that happens. It's not the recession that's going to draw the stock market down 35% or 40%. It's going to be the fear of it, right? And we're already starting to see layoffs. We're starting to see cost-cutting initiatives all over the place, you know, as far as the S&P 500 is concerned. So you're never going to be able to nail the bottom. And if you think the worst case scenario is probably the S&P down 50%, starting to buy things that you have a long-term time horizon down 35 or 40% makes a lot of sense, okay? So I agree with all that. A name guy that you and I have talked about, look, NVIDIA here, you know, again, this is a great company. They're exposed to a lot of great areas um, of like emerging technology. They're getting increasingly into industrials and autos. Um, obviously, they have data center and they have gaming and they the crypto stuff might have been a little bit. But like you tell me, can that overshoot to the downside mm-hmm. and get back towards those levels where it broke out in late 2020? Certainly. But you can't wait for that moment to start buying it. At some point, you have to buy a tenth of a position or, you know, and add, start adding a little bit on the whole way down and average yourself back in. Does that make sense, Guy? Makes 100%. It makes perfect sense. And I think we've been pretty consistent in exactly those views. And now Liz is just sort of galvanizing, I think, our positions and she's sort of crystallizing and she's putting it out in the note. Exactly what she said. You're never going to catch the bottom of these things, but you got to start somewhere and you have to have a game plan in place. And she laid out that game plan for you, understanding that, yeah, you might get a couple weeks more of pain, but not nearly to the extent we've already seen and by that point, majority of the war should be over. So you have to start layering in things because when they turn and they will turn like you're seeing today, for example, that turn is going to be violent and it's going to be very hard then to get on back of it. So just have a plan in place. And I'm with you. You've seen the S&P now rally. I'm just looking at it. 175 handles off the low. I, 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 I'm hard pressed to believe we've seen a move of that magnitude in recent history. But that doesn't speak to me, Dan, of market health. It doesn't speak to the worst being over. It just speaks to, again, people being completely off sides on both sides of the ledger. 
No doubt, well, we're still down considerably from the highs here. And even today's move looks like a little blip on those charts. All right, Liz, you did some heavy lifting for us. You did a great job of just kind of really getting all up in guys' grill here. So we appreciate that. We appreciate <laughs> well, 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 before she word. says adieu, another French word that I used earlier, um, it was in London this past Sunday morning that the New York football giants down 17-3 and seemingly left for dead on the pitch of Tottenham Hotspur or whatever bullshit team's field they were playing on, uh, found new life in the form of a stout defense and a resurgent running game and defeated the Packers of Green Bay in an epic battle. Packers limp home to play the mm-hmm. Jets of New York this weekend and the Giants at 4-1 and one playing the Ravens at home on Saturday, which is really shaping up as a fascinating game. As I know you know, and you'll be watching it. And again, the Brewers fans out there, tough season. Um, there's always next year. My man Yelich will be coming back. And you got a lot of good things, a lot of things to be hopeful for. But we're still playing baseball in the Bronx, uh, in Wisconsin, not so much. You know, both teams have left me at the altar multiple times now. And I don't like it. It's I, like don't, a song. I don't like this feeling. Like I know. a country song. And, and you're going to keep just sticking the knife in and twisting it around. <laughs> waiting taking pictures of me at the altar by myself you know <laughs> that i would never do because we, i'll no, take pictures saw. of you at the bar by yourself like the led zeppelin cover that i posted which by the way i didn't get the same play that you got but it was pretty good and the thought of you you know sitting forlorn at a bar at 603 drinking a scotch is 603 keeps getting same. earlier wow man i like this story this story it's like revisionist history happening live <laughs> All right. We, we Listen, Liz, we love you to death. We got to say goodbye. I'm taking over from here on out. Guy, sorry. You take a sorry. Here. Bye, uh, bye, Liz. All right. You can bye. follow her at SoFi.com slash blog. And her post, Semi-Charm Strife, is out today here. What's going on with our little uh, image here? I think we got a little Wow, that little we got, we got difficulty here. All right. Let's do this thing, guy. This is the moment that you have been waiting for. We get to look at John Butter's fine work and his Earnings Insight blog every week. He gives us a preview of it. You can find it on FactSet um, on their website here. You can also sign up for his blog to be delivered to your inbox. John Butters, welcome back to Market Call. How are you, bud? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me back. Good to see you guys again. You're the man, JB. And listen, you mentioned earlier, you've become a bit of a folk legend, apparently in Australia now they're talking about. I mean, you're you're like, you're not only nationwide, I mean, you're global. It's all South Park. What can I say? The name's famous from South Park, but I'll reap the benefits. I'll take it. (laughs) Well, we love it, buddy. Well, listen, man, let's talk about, this is kind of the moment of truth here. Tomorrow morning, we get the start of Q3 earnings, the big banks, you've heard us just talking. I mean, this is pretty astounding to see, you know, JP Morgan, which reports in the morning up 6% on the day. The stock was down more than 30% on the year coming into today here. And, you know, this is really going to set the tone for earnings season. You know, your note that comes out tomorrow in the Earnings Insight blog you're talking about, let's, you break it down. We're going to focus on Q3. We're going to focus on what analysts have been doing in, in, in front of Q3 earnings. And I'd love to get a sense of where you think sentiment is. And then let's talk about how you think the guidance is going to be perceived going forward, because we know that in your work, you've been talking about Q1 and Q2, what 85% of S&P 500 companies have been citing inflation. That's probably going to go to 100% or near that on Q3 calls. Talk to us about the setup 
into this earnings period and what you've seen analysts doing into this period? Yeah, well, as of today, uh, we're looking, the analysts are looking for just under 2% earnings growth for the third quarter. And that's down from an expectation of 10% back on June 30th. 10 of the 11 sectors saw earnings expectations come down. No surprise, energy was the only sector that saw expectations come up. Now, if we do finish at 2%, that'd be the lowest earnings growth going back two years, going back to the third quarter of 2020. But as we know, companies do tend to beat estimates. So that final growth rate will tip, will likely finish a few percentage points higher. Um, once again, similar to last quarter at the sector level, the energy sector, as you guys talked about earlier with Liz, is really driving the growth. Almost 120% growth expected. We take energy out. That overall 2% growth rate drops down to a decline of 5%. So again, energy really driving the train of earnings once again this earnings season. What I find interesting yeah. here, Dan, is the fact that analysts are finally, again, I think, listen, John, you may be correct me or Dan, you have thoughts, but I think this is actually really encouraging because people are finally starting to acquiesce, right? They're starting to throw in the towel. And to me, that's one more sign that we're through the worst of this and there's sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, we're certainly in a different place this earnings season than when we were, uh, when I was on earlier in June, in July for the second quarter earnings season. Back then, while the numbers for Q2 had come down somewhat, we didn't really see significant revisions to the future quarters and into 2023. That's not been the case the last few months. In terms of Q3, the numbers came down almost 7% which is, again, above all the recent averages and one of, the, one of the largest cuts we've seen again over the last two years. But not only did the numbers for Q3 come down, Q4 in the first half of 2023 also came down. So on June 30th, we're looking for 9 to 11% growth for those three quarters, Q4, Q1 of 23, Q2 of 23. Those have all come down to mid-single-digit growth as of today. All right. So when we talk a lot about these estimates coming down, we also talk about multiples, obviously, on the S&P 500. That's how a lot of strategists obviously get to their targets um, on the S&P 500. But a huge component of this, and, and we just talked about inflation a little bit, are margins, right? And we're just at a level where we know that margins have never been higher for S&P 500 companies. Talk to us about where they are, especially in light of all of these higher input costs. We just saw from Pepsi yesterday that their ability to raise prices by high teens percentages, right? They're pushing that through to the customer here. You know, some industries are going to be able to do that better than others here. But talk to us about margins and what we might expect in Q3 and the guidance going forward. Yeah, so overall for the the, the expected net profit margin for Q3, looking for 12.1%. Now, it is, that is below the year-ago number of 12.9%, but it is important to note, year ago, we did have peak profit margins for the S&P 500. And it's a little bit below where we've been the last few quarters. Last quarter is 12.2%. Q1, it was 12.3%. So we are seeing a little bit of a dip. But it is important to note that historically, these are still on the high side. If you look at the five-year average, uh, that's 11.3%. So anything above that is, is a you know higher than average margin. Um, and it is interesting to note, costs are still a huge issue for companies. As you noted, um, companies are still talking about inflation on their earnings calls. Over the last two quarters, 85% of the companies in the S&P 500 have talked about it. Those are some of the highest numbers in 10 years. But as you did note, it is interesting. Companies are able, at least in some industries, to raise prices to offset some of this inflation. Because if we look at the revenue growth number, it's 8.5% for Q3. And while that's a little bit lower than what we've seen in recent quarters, uh, that's above the ten, well above the 10-year average of 4.5%. So companies still have some pricing ability to offset some of this inflation. Listen, we saw Pepsi. I mean, 16% they raised prices and they're able to pass it on. And people champion that as some great quarter. And listen, I guess the fact that they can pass it on makes it a great quarter, but don't be fooled. I mean, you're not talking about organic growth there. 
you're just talking about passing costs on to their client base. So again, in Pepsi's world, real inflation is 16%. They did the math for you. Guidance is going to be really important here, JB. And you know we're starting to, well, we're not starting to see it. We've seen it over and over again, but we're probably going to start seeing it in earnest in terms of the guidance companies start to give. You know, Analysts throwing in the towel, that's one thing. Companies starting to throw in the towel, that's another thing. And I think this speaks to exactly that. Yeah, exactly. Guidance will be very important to watch in the earnings season, as you said, not only for Q4, which is probably you know in the books at this point, but more for 2023. So it is interesting. For Q3, the guidance was actually slightly more positive than we'd seen in recent quarters. So I'd be a little bit surprised if we see that again. Uh, but we've certainly seen both sides of the coin, right? So certainly some, some major negative pre-announcements from FedEx and AMD uh, over the last few weeks. But then just over the last few days, both Pepsi and Delta Airlines were a little bit more positive in their guidance. So guidance will definitely be something to watch uh, you know, as we get into the peak weeks of the earnings season. JB, your work is extraordinary. Thanks for joining. It's great to have you in person. I mean, we usually speak about you in these hushed tones and people, you sort of like, I don't even know what to, you're the Mickey Mantle of market call and you show up every once in a while and it's great to have you and hopefully we'll see you again soon. But Dan, that's it. I promised 30 minutes. We went 40, but we had a jam-packed show. I want to obviously thank John Butters for his time. EY from SoFi. She'll never be LY to me because that's just dumb. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, SoFi, and of course our production partners, Open Exchange. We'll be back on Monday unless something crazy happens tomorrow. Maybe we'll just drop in. Who knows? But we'll see you soon. See you later, guys.